0: You remember that Will Smith song, Will 2K, where he's like, Now we gonna party like it's 9-9. Hold up, it is. But it's 1999 we're talking about this episode, but it's also 9-9. Oh. Welcome to the Crooked Table podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr., Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, this is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release, normally. However, this is actually a sequel to an episode we did last July, in which my returning guest and I, who I'll get to in a second, talked about our top five films of 1998. Uh, Obviously, 1998 was the late 90s, we were both in high school, so... There was a lot of a lot of films kind of floating in the ether, and last year being 20 years since 1998, you know we figured might as well let's talk about movies like The Mask of Zorro and can Hardly Wait, and uh, I don't remember what else was in there. Do you, do you recall, Lady, who hasn't been named yet?
1: I don't remember. Yeah,
0: it's been a it's been over a year since we talked about 1998. So this year, if you've been following the Cricket Table podcast at all, we've obviously had sort of a side quest to cover as many 1999 movies as possible. Of course, 1999 was a huge, pivotal year, often heralded one of the one of the most important years in cinema in general. And uh, we're not going to quite get into the level of Friend of the Show, Michael Dennison's uh, 1999 from 99 podcast, or the level of the, the book I'm currently reading, Best Movie Year Ever, How 1999 Blew Up the Big Screen by Brian Raftery. However, uh, my guest... Hi, Yannis, and I will be talking about our top five favorite movies of 1999. So before we get to that, and I want to stress favorite, not best. I feel like best is a little bit of a presumptuous word that a lot of critics like to use. When like, this is the best film of the year. I'm like, is it though? It's art. Everything's subjective. It's like, what you see is, is the best might to me be a piece of shit. So I don't, I don't, whenever I post
1: like- Don't get Rob started in yeah, 2018. Yeah. Oscar. <laughs> no. Oh God.
0: Come on, Green Book. What's up? Um, but, um, but yeah, so I, I always like to lean more towards favorite because it implies a sort of certain subjectivism. So I might not, not even name your favorite movie on this, on this episode, and I might love a movie that you think is complete garbage. So without any further buildup, up, Kai Yanis, welcome back to the Crooked Table podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm always It's always my pleasure to be on the show.
0: So the last time we had you on, we were talking about Avengers Endgame, and I still, as my wife, you know this, I still haven't stopped talking about Avengers Endgame, and now we're in September.
1: It's true. It's true, uh, listeners. Um, Rob loves Avengers Endgame, and yeah, it it doesn't stop. But it's just kind of par for course. We've only seen it, what, four times? I saw three in
0: theaters, and then once on Blu-ray, and then... The commentary. So I guess five altogether, um, and then YouTube like a 400 Watch Mojo videos and things like that about Avengers Endgame. The things you miss. I'm like I didn't miss any of these, but I'll watch it with you again, and I'll get emotional every time you you show me anything with Captain America. Basically,
1: And you have your list.
0: I have a list. So okay, Kai's like tipping my tipping my hat a little, like tipping my uh, whatever the phrase is. I can't again. Just like the Avengers Endgame episode, we do have a bottle of wine here. So thank you to Hopes End. And your red blend, uh, which rhymes—I yeah. don't know if that was intentional. Uh, your uh, wine from South Australia. We're enjoying a bottle of that, which is actually pretty good. Uh, while we while we do this episode, but I do have—I did watch Avengers Endgame on Blu-ray and took notes of all the times I got like the feels, like whether that's emotional or sad or just like you know happy that kind of thing. The ending, especially, always like I always sit there for like a minute after, and be like,
1: it's just so beautiful. Unlike was like my, And like my end of the podcast about the Yeah, Avengers that was Endgame.
0: like, yeah. So if you want to hear Kai cry over how how perfect the end of Captain America's story is in Avengers Endgame, you listen to that episode. Um, but no, I am kind of toying with the idea. And I don't want to, it feels so basic to say that Avengers Endgame is my favorite movie of the year. Because it is. Because it's the highest grossing movie of all time worldwide. Uh, you know, not, not adjusted for inflation, obviously. But I don't know. It hits me in a really emotional way. In an emotional place. Yes, it's a huge superhero movie, but I feel like there are a lot of small character beats and moments that I want to highlight. And so I am toying with the idea of doing a feature of like the the best moments or the most powerful emotional moments or howsoever. I, I know. but I don't want to do it now because I don't want to. You can't
1: say best. It'd be your favorite. Yeah, yeah, heads. yeah.
0: Most powerful, whatever. To, and everything's subjective. It would obviously be a super opinion feature piece. Um, but if you're also listening to this and you want to hear, my thoughts on other 2019 movies. Every day this month, I'm doing a review. Sometimes I'm a day or so behind, but I'm, every day this day I'm posting 30 reviews in September for 30 movies that came out in 2019 that I haven't covered. So if I talked about it on a podcast, uh, so Avengers Endgame, obviously not, not going to be one of those 30 reviews. If I posted a review on it separately, like I did a review on Us, I did a review on Glass, things like that. Uh, those will not be counted but 30 movies that i haven't really put my thoughts out my my thoughts out there on just to kind of catch up with some of the movies coming out this year september is usually a sort of a slow month uh, at the box office minus i guess it chapter 2 which is coming out this weekend and uh ad astro which is a big movie starring Brad Pitt that's coming out that a lot of people are looking forward to i guess the goldfinch there's like two or three real the big movies the
1: goldfinch is out this
0: month uh yeah september like in a week or two i think I actually got the screening invite for that, but I think it's like very soon and I think we have plans or something. Um, so yeah, so keep an eye out for uh, for that on crookedtable.com. But without any further build up, did you have anything you wanted to talk about? Catch up stuff since last episode? It's been a few months for you. Anything you want to promote? Tell people about who you are and what's going on in case this is their first time hearing your voice.
1: Um, so I am Rob's wife, for those of you that do not know. And uh, I've been on... Quite a few of these over the years. And um, so, really, just kind of promoting similar things from before. I self published an ebook last March called Becoming Version 2.0, which is about my um, experiences traveling through China and Australia and how it enhanced my life. And that was nine years ago now that I left for China and started that transformative journey. I also have a YouTube channel, um, that I, I just call it, uh, be bold, be brave, which is about, um, just kind of trying to inspire people every day and, and acting in, in courageously. And so it's just like my little inspirational tips every week that I put out there. I also have a website, uh, be bold dash be brave.com that, has my book on there it has my all my videos on there some affiliate sites on there and it's all about me and being bold and brave and um, and I'm just trying to get my name out there but on a couple other podcasts I'm talking about my book and and telling more of a, a story about me Kai and that's just that's really the big stuff.
0: You're also currently available to talk on podcasts, uh, to do speaking engagements, especially in the, in the obviously in the Tampa Bay area, if anybody listening, this is in Florida or, or in Tampa Bay specifically, and uh, where can people reach you if they want to find out more information about that?
1: Um, they can reach me at website, bebold-bebrave.com. You can also reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, I'm on there, LinkedIn, um, and Twitter, I do have um, a couple Twitter handles and um, there's one that I kind of need to promote more, which is the letter B, bold, and the letter B, brave, one. Twitter. The, the was, other original was, was, one was, I was taken. Gonna, I was gonna say, it was <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still number one. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Be bold. Be brave. One. So cool. You're also the. The. It also makes me think of that Jodie Foster movie, The Brave One. So you're the. You're, be bold. Brave One.
1: That's right. You're the brave there one. you go. That's that's an mnemonic device right there. <laughs> there you Thank go. you very much, Rob.
0: You're very welcome. So moving into our our top movies of 1999, we sort of mentioned this briefly last year on the 1998 episode that. We were both in high school. I think 1999. We were star- still in high school. Middle, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Middle of our sophomore year when 99 started. Yeah. Going into junior year by the end, obviously. It makes and it so
1: much easier that you have the same age as me. So we. I know. I, 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 we just trust. Well, what we, Rob we,
0: says. we to prepare for this episode, we listened to a little bit of the beginning of last year's 98 episode. Like, oh yeah, we're, we're okay. Let's let's not tread hundred percent. The same ground, but let's at least it. Like, let's re- not be
1: a live-action Disney remake.
0: Oh God, yeah. There's been so many of those already. It's like what five, four or five of them this year. It's crazy. Um, <clears throat> but um, but yeah. So 1999, we're both in high school, and we should also stress that the movies we're talking about, we didn't see them all in 1999. In fact, I probably saw, you know, not as many as I would as you would as and I. And I'm prefer. much worse. Yeah, yeah. You're much worse. So. We haven't seen it. We still haven't seen everything. Is there, is there any movies specifically from 1999, like super noteworthy ones that you haven't seen that you wanted to be like, hey, disclaimer, I didn't see this. Don't get mad at me if it doesn't show up.
1: Oh, gosh. Because I, I have a couple. Um, I looked at the list a couple of times. And I mean, I think if I look at the cover of that book, that would probably oh, yeah, help, help me. I didn't see Boys Don't Cry.
0: I haven't seen. I actually. OK, so let me let me do mine. And then you'll probably have the same and then more. Uh, I still haven't seen the Blair Witch Project, which is a very bad b- blind spot. It just didn't look good to me. didn't look interesting to me.
1: And it doesn't help that I confirm that. Yeah, assumption. You, yeah,
0: yeah. You saw it, though. I did. I haven't seen um, in
1: a $3 movie theater.
0: Well, counts. You still saw it. Uh, I haven't seen uh, Rushmore, and I haven't seen... What's the other really? Oh, The Talented Mr. Ripley. I think those are the... Yep, same. Those same. are the really like blind, really bad ones for me. And, and the thing is, The
1: Talented Mr. Ripley, we can't find it.
0: No, I know. Did, did they so have it at the library? At least, and that's the thing. that like At least two of those movies... I, don't, I didn't check Boys Don't Cry, but the other two are not on Amazon Prime, and they're not on Netflix, and they weren't available through the, you know, the library's digital service or whatever uh, that we... Hoopla, which I mentioned with, I think, I think with Michael Deniston, again, when we talked about The Station Agent, I happened to found that, find that on Hoopla, so it was really easy to just borrow it from the library. Um, but yeah, so I think it's important to, to mention this the movies we haven't seen. Um, I also haven't seen films like Election and The Insider and uh, something else that's on the tip of my that's head. That's right.
1: I kept thinking In for the longest some reason that Election, you saw it, but you didn't like it. I
0: saw it and I... It was okay. I don't know. I didn't love it, but I also have grown a lot as a moviegoer, as a, a you know student of pop culture, as a cinephile in the last
1: 18 years. And know, so is your years Yeah, too. well, yeah.
0: In the last... And I don't even remember when I saw it. It was probably early 2000s. I didn't see that. I actually years. didn't see
1: it until 2004.
0: Yeah, it might have been around there.
1: But, but um, so I haven't seen Eyes Wide Shut.
0: Which, which uh, an episode will be coming on that, just to tease that.
1: And I haven't seen... I'm looking at the cover of this book. The Virgin Suicides is on here. I saw that. Or Run Lola Run, movie. and Being John Malkovich. I think those are the main ones. What, what's, the, what's the frog again? Oh, that's Magnolia, which oh right, Magnolia. I didn't even consider for this
0: list because technically its main theatrical release was in 2000. But I think the Brian Rafree of this best movie ever, a best movie year ever book. Um, I think he's kind of squeezing it in there because it debuted like in the festival circuits and things like that, things like that at the end of 99. Oh. So technically, I, I think it's technically a 99 movie, but like barely. So I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'm gonna even mm-hmm. consider that for this. Um plus I have a very touchy relationship with Paul Thomas Anderson. Like I appreciate his movies, but I don't I'm not like lavishing praise on Phantom Thread like so many other people are and things like that. Um, so I, I will also have an episode coming up in the next couple of months. Uh, on Punch Drunk Love, another Paul Thomas Anderson movie. So
1: it's awesome. the Academy really likes Paul Thomas Anderson, don't yeah. they?
0: Yeah, he's a There Will Be Blood guy, and, and he's with uh,
1: Viona Apple.
0: I don't know, maybe. Or he you would know more about that, that I than out. I would. The celebrity yeah, side of things. I had my That's not yeah, my celebrity. I know <laughs> some, but not not as much as you do. So, I guess to jump right into our list, then from that point on, again, these are our favorites, not necessarily the best. And some uh, of them may
1: be the best.
0: To us, they're the best. She got very defensive. <laughs> no, because no, no, maybe hey, they Rob, are don't maybe, tell me it's not. Maybe the they're
1: considered the best to, uh, to others as well.
0: So did you? I'll let you, ladies first. Start with number five on your list.
1: Okay, number five. So number five, I kind of actually swapped it out for another movie, but I'm gonna say Sleepy Hollow. So I saw very few movies in 1999, and I think the reason that I didn't is because. In 1999, um, I was in kind of a, an upheaval of my life. in um, In July of that year, that's when me and my mom moved to Melbourne. So I left. I left um, Florida, not Australia. Yeah. Oh not, yeah, not nearly as
0: cool as it sounds. Uh,
1: um, I was living in Orlando for a long time, and and I was going to see some of these 1998 movies with my friends, and then when I so then. Um, in 1990, like halfway through the year 1999, I then moved, so I didn't have any friends, and my mom was working, and I didn't have any means. To, I didn't have transportation to get to movies, so I actually I think watched a lot of these movies when I worked at Blockbuster because every week, when, um, as an employee of Blockbuster, you got to check out five movies. It can be new releases, it could be old movies, it didn't matter, but it was five free movies a week. Mm-hmm. So. Um, So, Sleepy Hollow was one of the ones that I was actually excited about, and I wanted to like. I I I made like the effort to actually go. And if if I recall, that was what March nineteen ninety
0: nine. I feel like that was almost a fall movie. I feel like that was like late summer, early fall. Oh yeah, maybe it it was. And I, I can check on that. And I
1: had a really I had a crush on Johnny Depp, so around those for a couple of years, I was seeing every single Johnny Depp movie, and that one was getting a lot of attention in the the mm. entertainment, entertainment news. And Christina Ricci was kind of, she had been acting for, since she was nine, but she was starting to get more attention. And, um, so it was just, Sleepy Hollow movie was a big deal and it looked interesting. So I, I made it, I made efforts to actually go see that. So I, so I did see Sleepy Hollow in the movie theater and it was, yeah, cause was right, I think it came out around Halloween. November,
0: November 19th, 1999. Actually, yeah. Okay. Like, like Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah. Ball I just deal. don't
1: I don't even remember who I saw that movie with because I didn't have really friends yet. And I don't know, maybe I did see it with my mom or maybe I saw it with my sister. Um but yeah, so that was just kind of one that I made intentions to go to go see and it was kinda it was interesting. Like the the cinematography was cool and Tim Burton wasn't like completely he wasn't a hack yet.
0: I mean neither was I mean to be honest, neither was Johnny Depp. Right,
1: exactly. They've made each other very hacky yeah. through, the, through the through the years, but um yeah, and I just think it was a really um gothically beautiful movie.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it won the Oscar for best art direction that uh, year too so it was yeah and a lot of Tim Burton's films have been get, gotten that kind of attention before the visual style and 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 the, and the even the like it's, it's also probably one of Tim Burton's most violent movies mm-hmm. but it's also I was gonna
1: say it's kind of it's grotesque
0: but it but it's not though because it's like super stylized like the the, the, head, the horseman cuts off a head and it, like, it, it spins around on the person's neck before it falls over things like that so it's it's so stylized and almost almost Kind of comic booky in a way, um, and it's got a great. I mean, you know, it was the kind of progenitor in a way to Johnny Depp's uh, Jack Sparrow character, in that it's it was him bringing it, it proved what he could bring by taking having a completely different take on what you would consider the the like romantic hero. Mm-hmm. In that movie, he's like scared at like the sight of blood, and he's like very skittish and like hesitant. So it's almost like. It's almost Ichabod Crane really growing into his role as a detective mm-hmm. and and overcoming his like hesitation with the supernatural forces oh, that's dealing. And with. And also
1: with Sleepy Hollow, um, I kind of feel like the movie From Hell is similar to Sleepy Hollow. Which was a couple years later. Yeah, yeah. and that one that Graham's one was really dead. that one was really gross. But and that and I keep thinking it feels like a Tim Burton movie, but it's not. But that was. Like from Hell seems like Sleepy Hollow, like a sequel to Sleepy Hollow.
0: I think From Hell actually is based on a comic book. which is funny,
1: but it's a bit It's about Jack the Ripper, who was yeah. a real guy. I know, I know. And wasn't Sleepy Hollow?
0: That's based on a Washington Irving, um, you know, short story or whatever back in the day. The, the legend of Sleepy Hollow. And that, they have Sleepy Hollow
1: did... in New York, don't they? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a small. That's where it's. Yeah, that's where the movie is set. So no, that's a good. That's a really good pick. That that was uh, definitely an honorable mention for me. Um, we'll, miss, we'll mention more of our well honorable mentions at the end of the episode, but that was definitely when I was going to mention had it not been on your list. And I suspect that we're not really going to have any any overlap with our top fives, which is interesting. That I did like last time we had maybe one overlapping. I or don't something. even remember which we one we have. It was. We have very similar but different taste in in film, which is, I think is interesting. Like I appreciate your movies and you appreciate my movies, but we also gravitate towards different kinds of movies. Which is which is why it's always fun to to watch films together because we both have such different uh, takes on them. So uh, and I just
1: trust your opinion. Oh, thanks. Movies like I am at have work I, and I get asked like if you liked by my coworkers that know you if you liked a movie that you saw and I'm like yeah you know he I liked it right or I'll watch a movie that and I'm like oh what would you think and you're like oh that was a two and I'm like yeah yeah I think so too and five yeah because I'm not nearly as um,
0: analytical yeah particular
1: about i am analytical about movies i'm not as particular about movies because i don't it's not my it's not my specialty like you're a film occupational
0: occupational yeah
1: so i'm like yeah rob rob likes it i guess i could see it and i mean of course it's always fun to make fun of poke fun at movies we're just like "Ah, no but well we have
0: a whole commentary on the room if people want (laughs) to hear us poke fun at movies uh that's definitely one to check out um but yeah, uh, you know it's, it's it's it'll be interesting to see tomorrow when we go see it Chapter Two what Kai has to think about that. So going into my number five, I had the Frank Oz directed comedy Bowfinger, which I will be doing an episode on at some point. Uh, the guest and I keep missing each other, like you know I have to cancel for for you know technical difficulties with my you know my storage space and also just falling kind of ill for a few days. And then he had something that came up. So there will be a Bowfinger episode eventually, uh, hopefully by the end of the year. We'll see. Uh, we're actually kind of filling up the rest of the year. It's really kind of filling up pretty quick. So if not this year, then early 2020, uh, I'll definitely have an, an episode on Bowfinger. So I have watched it recently and I have taken copious notes. And I really appreciate this. You know, as a, as a person that is a fan of film, as a fan of the Hollywood system, it's always fun to have, see a film that really satirizes that. And pokes fun at the the things that the things about movie making that just don't make sense, and the egos involved, and and the, and the the sort of one-upsmanship that happens uh, with when people are bound and determined to make a film. And that movie has not only you know great performances by Steve Martin, who wrote the screenplay, and Eddie Murphy in two roles, one of which is is complete opposite of his normal on-screen persona we get as as kit ramsey his sort of fast talking like you know paranoid like like uh kind of buddy love-esque figure where he's just like eddie murphy at like at his most eddie murphy like i've I, I mentioned will smith and as the genie and aladdin is like you taking will smith's personality and dialing it up to 11 well eddie, eddie murphy as axel foley but like like on some kind of drunk and just like talking super fast and super paranoid and like whatever. And so Eddie Murphy gets a lot of juice out of that role. But also as Jiff Ramsey, uh, the like kind of more simple minded, more like basic, just like kind of down on himself and just wanting to please, uh, you know, Bobby Bofinger in the movie. I think it's 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 a really good performance by both of them, but also, you know, it has shots at had uh, Scientology it has it has shots at the the studio system you have Robert Downey Jr. in a small-ish role as a uh, you know a major I don't know if he's a studio head or producer I forget but then there's a lot of really great supporting turns by Heather Graham by Jamie Kennedy and it's it's a really it's a really smart film that I think totally holds up and it and I think you know knowing that Steve Martin is sort of an intellectual and has written for the new yorker a lot and things like that you can you can see that sort of awareness of the you know this the the world that he's been a part of for 20 something years at that point as far as making movies you can tell that that experience really is puts a good use in the in the in this film and so that's one that i have really revisited a lot over the years and that i enjoyed watching recently and i look forward to talking even more on a future episode of the podcast so what are your thoughts on both
1: well, I think we saw Bowfinger many, many years ago. I think we had just gotten together because the visual in my mind, we were in the apartment.
0: Oh, the first one well, we first moved in the together. First, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, clearly
1: you really do like that movie because I feel like you were showing me some of your most favorite movies of all time well, I, in that apartment.
0: I also really love Steve Martin and I also really oh, love, I love Eddie Mark Murphy. Yeah. So yeah. They're, they're, both, they're, they're both like on my pantheon of like great Comedic actors. I have
1: a question though. Was um, so you said Steve Martin wrote it? Did he have Eddie Murphy in mind for the role of Kit Ramsey?
0: I don't know. I'm not sure. I think I think Steve Martin is probably a big part of what actually brought Eddie Murphy into the project. I think he wanted to really work with Frank Oz and Steve Martin, um, but. No, I don't know. I don't know if he if that's if he had him in mind or not. I haven't really. I guess I should probably find that out before I do the episode on the on the film. But
1: and it's kind of random random that Frank Oz directed it because it doesn't seem like a kind of movie he would do. But well, I don't did, know a lot about Frank. Oz He's O's also movies. done a lot
0: of movies with with uh, Steve Martin. He did the the uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. He did. Um, I think he did crap. I'm blanking on it now. I just had it in my mind and I totally forgot about it. He did um, the other. He did another uh, Steve Martin movie, which I'll look up in a moment. But he also did, you know, um, In and Out uh, and Little Shop of Horrors. That was another one they did together. That's what
1: I was saying. Think- okay, right. I, I didn't want to say that because I didn't know if I was right. He's
0: done, he's done a lot. I mean, both are In and Out, The Indian in the Cupboard, which is a good, which is a cute movie. Oh yeah. He did House Sitter, which you love.
1: <gasps> I love House Sitter. What about
0: Bob? Uh, Little Shop of Horrors, Muppets Take Manhattan, The Dark Crystal. He did a lot of. Great the Dark movies.
1: Yeah, I was thinking that one too.
0: Until the score, which was eh, whatever. And then the Stepford Wives remake, which is a disaster. Um, he had done a lot of great movies up to that point. So really solid comedic filmmaker. Yeah. I think people need to check out more of his work and appreciate that.
1: But I don't remember. I don't remember a lot of Bowfinger. I know I was watching the the beginning of the movie with well, you. I have it upstairs, A couple man. of days ago. I think I remember it being cute and, um, and clever. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I wouldn't one. expect anything less from Steve Martin. Of course. You said intellectual, but some people might consider him also pretentious.
0: A little bit, a little bit. But yeah,
1: I love Steve Martin But too. if
0: you're But if you're smart enough, can you afford, is, is it pretentious if you can back it up? It's like, there's a, there's a, I don't know why I keep making all these Will Smith references this episode. It's just 1999. Oh, I should point this out. This is not going to come up as an honorable mention because it's a terrible movie, but I really do kind of love Wild Wild West as a terrible guilty pleasure movie. And I was huge into his Willennium album, which is why I had the, that callback at the top of the show. But, um, but yeah, he, Will Smith. Uh, where was I making my Will Smith reference? I just the wine is hitting me um, already faster um, than I thought.
1: Is it? It's well. It's, back, it's I mean, backing it up. Is it? Is yeah. It if you're he's got a up. line
0: in a, in a song on Willennium. He says, uh, "Not conceited, I'm as good as I say I am." So, if you can back it up, is it conceited? Is it pretentious? I'll leave that out there for the uh, for the listener to decide. So, what is your number four movie, Kai?
1: My number four movie is, and this is where some people might also agree it's the best American Beauty. Oh,
0: okay. So we're jumping ahead on my list, but we'll get to that in a second. Um,
1: so I saw American Beauty when I worked at Blockbuster. That was one of the movies that I rented because I heard a lot about it, and I, you know, saw the the trailers with Mina Savari's character with the rose petals, and okay. And I already have been hearing a lot of Oscar buzz, and that was around the time I wanted to actually like, act like I was interested in, to, in film.
0: <laughs> I could see you as the Thora Birch character.
1: Maybe. At that age? I yeah, don't know. maybe. Um, well, I also don't want to be ordinary.
0: That's true. I was, well, both, nobody was. I was both of them. Well,. <laughs> No, well, nobody wants to be ordinary. And that's the kind of the... But, like
1: that was her thing. She's like, oh, nothing's worse than being well, boring. Well,
0: that was the thing of 1999 in general. And I talked about this with, you know, uh, Albert Lanier, who I just recorded the Eyes Wide Shut episode that will air later this fall, is that all the movies, a lot of the, the movies on the cover of this book were about the real life, the dream world, what's real, what's not, what's possible, what isn't. Can you break out of this corporate prison or this, you know, the Matrix or, you know... The TPS reports was it or the fight of the club Y2K or whatever.
1: scare? You think that's what kind of... I don't know. That's happen. why I'm like looking forward to the finishing world this was going
0: to end because... Maybe. That's probably part of it. But I mean, a lot of these films were in production. Because computers really
1: started to be kind of taking a hold on our society in 1999. Yeah. Like, I mean, I didn't get my first com- Uncertainty, computer. Uncertainty, Computer until I was 13. Mm-hmm. But it was just going into accessing chat rooms and stuff. It wasn't like it became in 99... 99- I mean, I guess I don't really know, relate to that either because I still, we still weren't using computers very much in high school.
0: No, no. I mean, I, I didn't, yeah. In 1999, I had, you know, I had we had computers. I mean, I, I started as a kid using my dad's Commodore 64, which is that's a real, called real old tech reference for people listening. But uh, yeah, 1999, I was just doing yeah, kind of like very. It was that was back when AOL had like AOL search words, and that was like. The, the the you can get to a website by typing a word in AOL, um, and I was still using like the AOL keywords my or whatever. Papers in school. I might have been using writer. a computer, but I wasn't really using the internet very much at that point. I don't
1: know what the hell I was doing. I think I was using <laughs> computers at school, but I was really confused on how to do. But you weren't using nothing. the internet
0: really. That's right. the thing. Yeah. The internet was not. Now it's like, oh, go online to take your class. And back twenty years ago, we we're like, what? How does that even
1: work? Well, we were even talking about that today about how. Dialogue, like I, I was oh talking about how it'd be cool to start a, a a business that was just experience like it was an agent that well, just don't
0: tell did. people your idea if you end up doing it. People well, anyway, it was like then,
1: just being as some type of agent that, that booked things for people, itineraries, and you're like, why? What would they need that for?
0: It's called the internet. <laughs> no. I want to set up a nail appointment for this, or I want to go rent a boat for this. All right, what time? Here, okay, good. There you go, done. I mean, it should be on the cricket table podcast, I have a Calum Lee, I'm like here, pick something. I don't know. <laughs> Let me know what you want to talk about. We'll figure it out.
1: It's conv- it, the internet killed an entire entire industry. It
0: changed. It changed everything. And we're the last. And we're not not talking about American Beauty at all really, anymore. <laughs> we're but, just talking about 1989. <laughs> but uh, it, it's we're the last generation that remembers life before the. the Yeah. Yep. Are we geniels?
1: X- X- yeah, Xennials. Like a very small subset of of people, millennials, that like we're We're barely millennials millennials, but yeah we're not we're like not enough like i have a cousin that is 13 years younger than me she is still a millennial but she had a computer and internet when she was nine yeah exactly we didn't have cell phones until we were 18 i still had a pager in right. high school, I like, never had a, I had pager, a freaking but. pager, like a drug dealer. I wasn't. I'm just saying that that's what the connotation <laughs> is with a pager. And you know, we were the last generation who were having internet, you know, and it, and we grew up with a different type of work ethic. And we went, we graduated from college before the tuition crisis started. Right. So
0: bright futures was more, yeah, covered more of covered our, more
1: of your future. Yeah,
0: exactly. It was brighter, it was brighter <laughs> yeah. futures.
1: And we, we had to, we were told to wear sunglasses because the future was so bright. Nice. Gotta wear shades. (laughs) I
0: think
1: that that was 99. That wasn't such
0: an old joke 20 years ago. (laughs) It wasn't as dated, but no, to your point, and then we'll get to American Beauty, um, which was number two on my list, I should say. So that you're, you're, you're stealing some of my mojo, which is a reference to one of my honorable mentions. Um, it, we are sort of stuck between like we're young enough to want to have podcasts, social media followings, um, you know, know how to code and, and SEO and all that good stuff, but old enough to still have to really struggle at times to keep up with these these youngins out there who had just come out of the womb knowing how to operate, you know, smart you know, like our kids and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like our daughter who's almost three and knows how to navigate my iPhone better than I do. She's like, Oh, I want pictures. Oh, do, 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 do. I'm like, how did you get to that? What is going on? how did you turn off my 4g yet again? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so uh, it, that's, and I think 1999 is, you know, we're, we're like, we're actually, unfortunately the, the, the weird like stopgap between like the technology changeover of, society and how it's changed everything though how we operate so american beauty you like this movie no before
1: i do and i remember like when um it the oscar nominations were coming out I'm like american beauty must have gotten nominated for a cinematography i don't even know what cinematography is but i knew that american beauty had that and right should have been recognized for that and it was like, yeah cinematography I think, I think it did yeah i think it did win for well it, it, did win. Go ahead, go ahead,
0: go it did win and it did win best actor it did win well. We should say it, it did win Best Picture, uh, Best Actor, Best Director, and I think Best Screenplay at least. And
1: Annette Benin lost her Oscar.
0: I, well, for the first time to Hilary Swank.
1: And then she, <laughs> Hilary Swank won again.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> and, terrible.
1: And I I do remember Hilary Swank's Oscar dress, but um, but yeah, cinematography.
0: Was, yeah, that was the last one. Wow, good job, Kai. <laughs> and
1: and and I will do the plug for Rob. Rob actually has a podcast with his friend, Michael Hinman that talks about American beauty. So right. make sure that you check that out. But, um, it's just a really, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful movie. And also heart wrenching movie too. Yeah. At the
0: same time. Yeah.
1: Cause we watched, cause I did watch it with you, right?
0: You were, I think sitting there on your computer and you'd seen it before. So you obviously weren't like, what's happening. You were just kind of refreshing your memory of it. And um, being
1: married and seeing this movie. It, having a
0: daughter and seeing this movie. Yeah.
1: It's, it's a lot different to see that at, at this um, stage of life a stage yeah. of life instead of when we were in high school.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, if people, as you mentioned, if people want to hear uh, in, more in-depth thoughts, I don't know how long Mike and I talked about it, at least over an hour, but that was late last year we, we did that episode. It's it been, is too
1: bad it wasn't this year because I was even, I was even I know it was, I mean, I mean, I mean, it was I mean, December. It was December. You talked about this. I'm going right? to
0: count it because it was December 31st. I post it. So we talk about it for about an hour. And um, yeah, he re- that's his favorite movie. He considers that his favorite movie of all time. I'm not quite up there. It's, it's actually as I mentioned, number two on my list. So um, you know, it, it's short of one movie that it will obviously get to and people that know me will probably easily guess what that is.
1: And I wanted to also mention, um, and I, um, is that it also showed that you could be a closet, a closet gay. When you when there's homophobia, and well, I mean, I'm sure I was I don't in know high school I, I was first even to show
0: that, but it's well, more mainstream definitely. Yeah, well,
1: I remember even being in high school, and um, you know, there were people that I knew that would say remarks about gay people, and I even said, I said, you, I'm like, are you like, uh, like, are you gay yourself? I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't like gay people. I'm like, um, you actually can be a gay person and be homophobic, and she's like. Ah. And so that movie kind of touched upon that, that, you know, spoilers. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I thought that that was like a very interesting take on on that, on something like that, because that's still going on now. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, the, there was a story recently I saw just this past week on Facebook and, and stuff that one of the like big conversion therapy people came out as gay. Yeah. I'm so sorry for my role in that. And it's
1: not like... I'm that surprised.
0: No, no. That's a lot of times it's, yeah, it's denial of your own urges and such. And I don't know how revolutionary that was at this point for that on screen, but for us as like 16 year olds seeing it, like... You know, we talked, I mentioned earlier about 1999 being such an eye opening, like breakthrough year for movies. And it's because a, a lot of bold statements were being made in films, such as American Beauty. So that that's a good pick. Obviously, you know, I had that on my list. So we're, we're in sync. I, I didn't think there would be any overlap, but I guess that will be the overlap yeah. one.
1: And I like that he, uh, other thing about that movie, too, is that I like that the character, oh my gosh, I don't remember his name. Lester Burnham? Yes, Lester. That was Lester off Burnham. the top of my head. I like that he was unhappy with his life. And he was gonna make efforts to change it, to improve it, and that is all about what: be bold, be brave. That, is that's about.
0: the other. That's the other thing. And and this, we the reason we're going longer this episode than our ninety eight one is because nine we're talking about not only the movies of ninety nine but like the culture of ninety nine, and that's movie, uh, movies at the time were, were a lot of them were like that about breaking out of things, and it was both. In, in many cases, kind of inspiring, but also kind of harrowing at the same time. And I think American Beauty is like that. Like you're rooting for him, but then you're like, he also wants getting buffed so that he can have sex with his daughter's friend, a teenager, you know? It's like, there's a lot of sort of questionable angles. I mean, not a, not the least of which is that Kevin Spacey is now persona non grata in Hollywood, uh, thanks to his own indiscretions and his own behavior in, in real life. Um, but just thematically, like something like Fight Club, which, you know, I had an episode talking to, you know, my good friend, the famous Ashley Grant about that movie. And that if you watch it from the right mindset, it's inspiring. You're like, yeah, I'm going to make it happen. And if you look at it from the other side, you're like, oh, I'm going to destroy systems around me and like hurt, possibly hurt people and like change, like, you know, kind of risk everything on hopefully making things for the better. I don't know. At least starting some shit and. Creating a sense of anarchy. So, in that in that uh, vein, let's talk about nine number four as far as shaking things up and a sense of anarchy. I had at number four Kevin Smith's Dogma, which is Mm. probably my favorite Kevin Smith movie. Like I think it's the most interesting, and it's the most uh, forthright he is with any of his movies. It's not just about dick and fart jokes. Like I'm looking forward. I'm really looking forward to Jay and Silent Bob reboot. I really love Strike Back, I really love the Clerks movies and things like that, but this is not just people talking about like shooting the shit and making pop culture references and, and, uh, you know, scatological humor. This is him kind of poking fun and also having a very uh, incisive commentary on the Catholic church. And people listening to this may or may not know, I don't know if it's come up before, it probably has. I was raised Catholic, not so much anymore. And so this film really resonates with me in a lot of ways and it probably helped open my eyes to be like, well, religion doesn't make sense. I don't know. And made me think about it in in a different perspective. It is kind of yes, it's a Kevin Smith movie in a lot of ways, but it's also not a Kevin Smith movie in a lot of ways. I feel like it's it's Kevin Smith's script is probably his best work, I would say, as far as economy of storytelling, as far as creating a mythology and a world. Behind the the Catholicism and the religion that play, great performances by Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Alan Rickman, Chris Rock, Linda Fiorentino, uh, George Carlin, uh, Jason Lee. Like, it's a really great ensemble of Kevin Smith regulars with also some people that were new to his viewersque uh, universe at that like point. Alana, well, she's not really, a, she shows up at the end to smile and be God, basically.
1: Well, that's a big But word. it is,
0: it is. A big, Salma Hayek, I forgot Salma Hayek is in there as the, one of the muses. Um, as a muse, I guess I should say. Um, just a real, it's a really this, imaginative, this? it's a, it's, just, she's amusing in it too. Um, it's just a really imaginative social commentary on religion and its role in society and, just it and it's not even this. And it was, of course, it was banned by the Catholic Church because you know whatever. Um, but and it's not even necessarily deriding the, the religion, like organized religion or the Catholic Church. But it's trying to get people thinking, and questioning things more. And, and I, it did definitely did that for me when I saw it, probably around early, probably around two thousand or so. And I think it's it still stands as probably Kevin Smith's best work to date.
1: Um, I was going to say with the Catholic Church now, twenty years later wonder if it would be banned now, because we have a- The
0: Pope is a, little, a lot cooler than he used to be? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, isn't it that now the pope, is, the pope is so cool and woke that some Catholics actually are mad at him and don't like him?
0: Wouldn't surprise me. So, Dogma. Anyway, what are your thoughts on Dogma? Uh, so,
1: I didn't see Dogma until only a couple years ago with Rob and some friends of ours. and um Friends of ours? Who did we watch it with? It was writing group. Oh, really? Okay. I yeah. forgot that. Uh, and- I mean, I liked it okay. I mean, I don't want to sound dense here, but I kind of didn't get why it was offensive. Like it seemed to me like it was about Catholicism about right. Jesus. I don't. I don't know. I guess.
0: Uh, well, it was. I. I mean, not to get too religious here, but I think it was, in large part, because it was questioning the the. Untouchable nature of, of Christianity, of Catholicism, of religion. Like you're not really supposed to question things. That's just the Lord's will, that kind of thing. And the movie also. Oh yeah, I didn't get that. The movie also posits that spoilers for a 20 year old movie. The movie also posits that Jesus had kids. That she, Bethany, the Linda Fiorentino character, is a, the great, 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 whatever, how many greats Chris Rock tells her, granddaughter of Jesus Christ. And so she's like the last remaining heir, so to speak.
1: Oh right. Of the What's bloodline. wrong with that? I mean, that's maybe not. Well, he's place. not
0: supposed to have he's not supposed to have intercourse, Jesus. He's Jesus. So that's also part of why something like The Last Temptation of Christ was such a huge deal then, because it said, Well, what if Jesus lived was a normal man and struggled and had a life and fell in love
1: with Mary Had. Had sex in. and
0: had well, that's also Da Vinci code, too. Yeah. Yeah, the, A lot of these movies uh that veer off of the vision, perfect vision of who Jesus Christ was and how the Catholic Church operates, and this is not this is no judgment to people that are you know devout Catholics or anything. I'm just saying my my perspective and talking about the film you know uh, that Kevin Smith put out 20 years ago. And so you know don't don't send don't send me angry tweets or anything. It's everybody's teach his own. You know it's all good. Um, but that to me is kind of I think part of the Catholic Church doesn't really like being questioned or having their beliefs. I don't know. Okay. That makes sense.
1: The thing is I didn't grow up with any, right. Any particular religious path. So that's why I'm like, I don't get it.
0: (laughs) Which is why that movie didn't resonate with you as much, which is why it's not on your top five, but yeah. But, um, so that's just my thoughts on, on dogma. I think it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a great movie. It's interesting movie. And it's actually kind of one I feel like watching now again. I feel like I should go back and rewatch some of the view. movies to prepare for reboot. Um, But yeah, I'm a big Kevin Smith fan, love his, you know, seen him, we've seen him, you saw him live with Hollywood Babylon, I've seen him a couple times, so uh, I I love his work and I think this is his best. So, number three, Kai.
1: Never been kissed.
0: Oh boy, Drew Barrymore, not surprised. Didn't she show up last, 98? Oh yeah, Ever After.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> and if we did 97, I would do Wedding Singer. Oh.
0: Well, no, that was 98 own. also, actually. It must have... I think that would oh, have yeah. been on... Maybe that was your number one or on no, 98. No, you had a
1: Wedding Singer and I had Ever After.
0: Oh, I like Wedding Singer much better. Well,
1: right, right. So, um, Never Been Kissed. Good movie. So, yeah. So, Drew Barrymore, she's, she's my girl. And um, I was really hyped up for this movie. Because this movie also was the first movie that she ever produced under Flower Films. And... I mean, I did not buy her as a seventeen year old. I mean, I can't even believe like she actually wasn't even twenty-five. She was twenty two. But her her life decisions have aged her. But I just think it's a really cute movie. And it, you know, it's the first time we ever saw Jessica Alba and
0: Lily Sobieski, who's also in Eyes Wide Shut.
1: Yeah, and um, Michael Vartan was I think that was the first time I saw him. Former
0: former Mr. Jennifer Garner.
1: And Octavia Spencer. Makes an appearance. I forgot that. Yeah. In the beginning of the movie. And it's just... It's... I like it because... Who hasn't felt that way? You know? Who hasn't wanted to go back to high school and do it again? Like me and my sister used to say that if we went back to high school now, we would totally kick ass. We would run the place. Because you're you know, a lot more confident. You're a lot more wise. You... Um,
0: you understand people, I think, better too. Yeah. Is the, is the thing you're like, oh, really? You're just doing. You're just acting this way because you're insecure about blah blah, or whatever. And you will be able to see through people's facades. Which come on, everybody had that in how in high school. Yeah, I was gonna and, say in Hollywood, but that's like we already covered that. in finger. Yeah.
1: and you have more um, perspective on what's important, and so that's what Never Been Kissed is about. Is Doing it all over again, and would things be different? And in the beginning of the movie, things aren't different. She's still being bullied. She's still being, she's being made fun of, and she just doesn't want to be Josie Grossy anymore. And then her brother David Arquette, who apparently Drew Barrymore grew up with him. You know, they were child stars, child actors together, and um, he changes things for her, and he makes her popular because that's the other thing about high school is it's all in who you know. If one person thinks you're cool, the other – everyone else thinks you cool. Like, I remember going to high school, and there would be these girls that would move to – would be the new girls, and, like, they, all of a sudden, they'd be befriended. I mean, I'm sure that you saw that, too. Like, they're just – these new people, like, oh, you look cool. And Me Girls touches upon that. And – or this girl that was not – no one ever really – she kind of kept to herself. She starts going out with a popular boy. Now she's popular. That – And that's actually one of the big reasons that I moved away was because it just was, it was getting too hard to go to my high school. And that was the same, that was around the same time that the, the move with, um, to my, to Melbourne, Florida was happening. So I really, really resonated with that. you know, I still do. And I actually even made her, um, the scene at the end of the movie at, at prom as one of my monologues in my drama class. Because I, and it had, the movie had just come out, so I was trying to like oh, find well, it she online.
0: Breaks the Crown and like, yeah. yeah. No,
1: that was Mean pe- I, That was Mean Girls. I always
0: get this confused. <laughs> what is what did she doing? She she do she's like, I'm, she's like, let that me tell you something.
1: Gross. I'm 25 years old. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I haven't, I've obviously seen mean, mean Girls and Never Been Kissed both confuse me in that part because they both have like a big monologue at a prom, I'm pretty sure, right? Yeah, yeah. And I I've always kind of superimpose, like, flip the two. Uh, no, but Never Been Kissed is, is a good one. I I didn't even I don't even think I wrote that down for my honorable mentions, but that is a good movie. I do like that film quite a bit. Uh, Drew Barrymore was in a really like sweet spot in the late '90s between Ever After and Charlie Angels. Singer, Charlie's Angels. Charlie's Angels in two thousand. Oh, two thousand. Right. But yeah, yeah. So I'm like '98, nine. Not even yeah, like '98. Maybe Scream I think was a big one. That like oh Drew Barrymore, she's still around. We should put her in things. And maybe that's what kind of helped her like really. Make all these the string of really successful movies.
1: I actually saw Never Been Kissed with my good friend that we saw to, that we saw today. I saw. Oh really? Yeah, I saw Darlene? that Darlene. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Aw, that's nice. That's, yeah. So because I remember
1: because she's like, oh, that was really cute, and like I was getting emotional at the end, and and I was telling Darlene about needing to do a monologue for for my drama class and think about doing that one, and so and I just remembered that 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 was who I saw that movie with. So I think we got dropped off by her dad or something like that, but because we both still didn't have cars. <laughs> but uh, and but,
0: the, yeah, yeah, that's a good good choice, good pick. I actually I like,
1: haven't seen it in a long time. We I could totally actually. watch that. I I own it. I own it. I mean, you gave it. You bought I it. Did, for I did. I got
0: it for you on Blu-ray. I think, right? Mm-hmm. That would be another good one to show because my uh, my mom, who loves all the rom-coms, especially in the '90s ones. I think some of the better ones came out in the, in the '90s, honestly. She hasn't seen another movie that I have a feeling is still coming up on your list. And you always talk about we should bring that over to show her, uh, as well as mm. Never Been Kissed. So, yeah. How do you go-
1: know it's on my list?
0: Oh, I know you. I know you're top two now. I know you have known you. We've known each other for nine years, and we've been together for eight years. So it's not hard to guess what your top two are, knowing the, what movies came out that year. So number three, I had Toy Story 2.
1: I'm not surprised. You're not surprised? No, I saw it on the, 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 that list, and um, I knew that was one of the ones we were going to pick. It's
0: not one of my favorite uh, it's not. actually probably not my least favorite But it's my third favorite Toy Story movie I think um, It's actually not one of the ones I consider A quote unquote masterpiece But I, I think this is the Because Toy Story came out in 1995 And so four years later Which seemed like a long time for a sequel uh, in, For an animated sequel then And then of course it was another 11 years <laughs> Until Toy Story 3 And then another what 9 years Until Toy Story 4 so they, they maybe know
1: nine years to Toy Story five. Well, who we'll knows? See.
0: Who knows when they're, I don't think they're ever going to really be done with it. They'll be like, no, no, there's this little morsel of a story we still have yet to tell. Uh, which Toy Story four, I haven't done my review yet for quicketable.com, but I liked it. I didn't didn't love it. It's probably my least favorite of the Toy Stories, but still solid. Toy Story two, I think, is where they, the movies started to show how much they could really delve into with uh, the concept of living toys. I think the obviously the standout sequence is the whole Jesse. Uh, flashback scene with Sarah McLachlan's uh, "When She Loved Me," where you really feel the the life cycle that these toys have to go through between being purchased, being loved by a toy, being forgotten for years under your. It made me feel really bad. It made me want to go home and take all my toys and be like, "I love you guys. I'm never gonna forget you." Which is probably why I still have a giant bin and upstairs filled with like my old action figures and stuff because I'm like, I'm never gonna. You're, you're always gonna be next to me. I'm not gonna be like uh, Emily or or Andy. Uh, spoilers for Toy Story Three. Um, so no, no, I really I loved the, the film. I love the fo- the fact that it it gives Woody a rich backstory. Obviously, very inspired by Howdy Doody. I love the additions, specifically of Bullseye and uh, Joan Cusack, who I, who I really love and pretty much everything as Jesse uh, The whole the whole dynamic of putting them in a toy store where they can interact with Barbie, where they can explore the aisles and kind of get into shenanigans. I, I really like all that and. The backstory behind the film I love even more because Toy Story was a huge hit. It came out right around the time, it it came out in 95, and then uh, Disney really started churning the direct-to-video sequel wheel in 1996. Uh, No, actually the year before, 1994, with Return of Jafar. And so they were like full-on doing direct-to-video sequels to everything, and they were getting ready to do their own Toy Story too, that was just gonna go straight to video. Until they they were able to get Pixar into it and uh, and they were able to put out a movie that was much better, infinitely better than anything we would have gotten. Went to theaters, became a huge hit, one of the biggest that year. Uh, And I also mentioned on... Was it like
1: the top three?
0: It was probably up there, yeah. And I mentioned on, I forget what podcast it was recently, I did a podcast about this. Uh, I think it might have been regarding I mentioned in you know, Aladdin and then Lion King Lion King. I did the Lion King podcast with Danielle Solzman and we talked about which are later, later this fall and we talked about how that was the beginning of like celebrity casting. Toy Story Two was also, I think to my knowledge, the first animated movie that had the actor voice the voice actors' names above the title. So it was like Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, Toy Story Two.
1: Which oh, I haven't done that before?
0: Not that I had ever seen or can remember. Not even for Aladdin that wasn't the case you just had to be like this is Robin Williams did you know this Robin Williams is a genius and then after that a couple years later Shrek was like Mike
1: Myers Kim Diaz Andy Murphy blah 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 because then that's I guess that's when money there was more that's money when, and notoriety and right a exactly so Toy
0: Story 2 I think is a pivotal movie for animation and for animated sequels and also for Pixar showing what they could do when they were really given a franchise to delve deeper into these characters and sort of these high concepts that they came up with like well what does that really mean when you dig down into it what are the ramifications of toys you know these plastic things that we play with and then forget about and give away or throw out um, you know how would that how would that play out in, in real time over, over several years so I, I really love that movie quick rebuttal Toy Story thoughts on Toy Story 2
1: okay I don't like Jesse. Like I know the voice Ma- of Jesse. my no mom doesn't like Jesse either I swear it's not the insult to Joan Cusack I just don't like the way that the the, the voices it's it's abrasive to me she's too excited yeah and Yeehaw! yeah I just don't I don't and it so it takes away some of that, the, the liking of that movie because of Jesse. But, um, I mean, it's it's a cute movie. And I actually hadn't even seen Toy Story 2 until Rob showed it to, to me. There's a lot of that
0: going around. Um,
1: a few years ago. I mean, I don't know how you we were able to see all these movies because, like I said, I didn't have a car. Like, I didn't have... Oh, was how did we- I go to
0: see all these movies? Yeah. Okay, well, little Rob Bio moment. 1999. I didn't. I wasn't driving. I didn't have a car. I didn't know how to drive. I was a really late bloomer when it came to driving because I was terrified of driving, until my my early to mid mid twenties was when I was like, I guess I have to drive because uh, I was okay.
1: I don't like driving either. I so. was. I know, but <laughs> I was like
0: scared to get a license, scared to get behind the wheel. I was a very anxious child. Not a lot has changed. <laughs> In summer. I do drive. But uh, and I'm pretty confident driving now. But at the time, so no, that was obviously not an issue for me. We, my family and I we were very movie-centric in a lot of ways. I mean, we would do movie nights a lot. We would go to the go to the movies quite often. And and now thinking back, I'm like, I know what my parents were more or less making. I'm impressed that they were able to swing that all the time. It
1: wasn't the, so bad. Back going to then,
0: the movies, though. yeah. Well, it was, it yeah, was it's what, true. Five, if you go to a matinee, it was like five,
1: four. seven dollars. If you go
0: to like they used 90? to have here the the two to six or whatever with like the, the slow period at the movie theater and tickets I think I've seen I'd seen as low as like three seventy-five for a, a Twilight showing or not Twilight the like Stupid now? Franchise. No, no, back in the oh, day yeah, yeah. in the late 90s, like 375 for a movie ticket. Now it's like eleven dollars yeah, unless you like, go like before noon at AMC. Yeah.
1: Going to it was a three it was one of those cheap movie theaters I went to go see. It was three dollars. I wouldn't have won I really didn't want to spend the three dollars at all for that movie. But that, and that's just what you that's what you could get away with back then like I remember going to movies at night even as a student and it was like five bucks <laughs> no <laughs> I, don't think they, I don't think they even have student pricing anymore
0: I think they do I think they do but you have to like one night a week I think. yeah like,
1: exactly it was student like, night I'm yeah, like, what the hell yeah it was like every night
0: so in 20 years we'll be lucky we'll get a discount and I was
1: like so. totally still using my student ID even though I wasn't a student anymore like, I, I gotta get my five dollar movie
0: I want to – yeah, well, I think a lot of people did that. I, I want to throw this out there. I don't even think they have an affiliate program, but AMC, AMC Theatres, if you're listening, I used to work there. I worked there from 2001 to 2003. I really love AMC A-List. I would love to do an affiliate program, an affiliate like relationship for the Cricket Table podcast. I, I – yeah, I can't say enough good things about that program and the fact that I go see movies a couple times a week if I can – and uh, it's just $20 every month. So this is total unpaid advertisement. But, yeah, movie tickets now are I- I- insane. So the fact that I have uh, A-List, the fact that I have sometimes go to screenings is very really helpful. I remember um, when I
1: heard that New York and L.A. were charging $15 a movie ticket. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's so expensive. Well, in Tampa, I mean, it's not. It's like,
0: yeah, 13 14 for yeah. a regular. And then if you're seeing Dolby or 3D or IMAX or whatever, it's, you know. 17, 18,
1: something on there maybe. And it's so. easy to be in the number 1 movie when you're charging 15 something dollars for a movie ticket. That's yeah. why I'm always like, "All right. So what is it just for inflation?" The, the, the Anyway, so uh Toy Story 2 um
0: You like, like liked it and love basically on your end? Yeah, it's it's it like it, middling is it, it, it might like be middling Pixar?
1: Toy Story in between like it might be close to Toy Story 4. Okay. Yeah.
0: So you have a closer yeah, but you still probably what, three, one, two, four Toy Stories or is Yeah, it, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's I think that's kinda where I'm at. Maybe three and one are not are almost Interchangeable. I think I probably want to watch them again. And but. you could
1: probably put that Sarah McLachlan song on that oh, whole gosh, scene. Just so put it on great. right now, and we would just start crying. Yeah, it's, it's so like a, oh, it's, it's like such up. A, you know, You're that was that on. was that.
0: Yeah, that was and that was a thing. Like I didn't. I don't remember. I didn't cry in Bug's Life. I didn't cry in the first Toy Story. Really, they were like, oh, he doesn't realize he can't fly. That's sad. But I wasn't like, oh. And then Toy Story 2. That was the moment where Pixar was like, "Oh shit, we got these motherfuckers by the heartstrings." Every movie we're gonna make you cry. Wally, Coco, Inside Out, uh, even Monsters, Monsters Inc. Uh, there's moments where I get very emotional, especially the ending. But still, the, the
1: the winner is up.
0: Yeah, up of course. I don't
1: think any movie has the potential to make anybody cry. Oh, I like watch.
0: Some, sometimes if I'm just feeling very emotional and I need to get it out, I'll just find that scene on on YouTube and be like. <laughs> loved her so much now he's alone um yeah man it's so I, yeah, toy story 2 was very very impactful movie on pixar uh, animation studios so and it's a great the movie eyes weren't
1: as scary right the people the people eyes weren't scary
0: not as much it came a long way in just those four years and then you watch it now there's videos all over youtube comparing the dog in toy story which is like to the cat in toy story 4 and it's like oh so it's like night and day. Like the detail that they're able to get to you now is insane.
1: Well, even Finding Nemo, right in two thousand three, like the like yeah. detail.
0: Well, from changed a lot, or from Finding Nemo to Finding Dory, that they accomplished things oh, in Finding yeah, Dory yeah. that there's no way they could do. They, they what ten years, yeah. thirteen years and earlier. And this movie is
1: not good, but the good dinosaur. I mean, the one thing we kept saying visuals, about the movie yeah. is yeah, the visuals were beautiful.
0: Well, it looks like it looks like photorealistic backgrounds with animated characters in yeah. it. Yeah, which it is what like, they should have done with the Lion King remake. Just saying.
1: And wasn't it with the whole thing with Finding Dory where they even that I read trivia that said that they did the water actually even better than in the movie? But like I think the it looked too real. <laughs> it looked too real. Like okay, you gotta <laughs> gotta scale it back a little bit. Say Go what you bit. want
0: about Disney and the fact that they're taking over Hollywood, but their their visual effects have been getting in, incredibly incredibly well, in, incredibly impressive from Star Wars to Marvel to Pixar. It's just they got. We have the money to do it. So that's that's what. So you're what able to happened with that?
1: When did? At what point did Disney then buy Pixar? I
0: think it was like two thousand six.
1: Okay. So it was, around there. So there was like. So it was a little bit after Toy Story two.
0: It was several years after Toy Story two. Yeah, it was like right around the time of like I think Cars. It was two thousand six.
1: Oh, that was that was the deciding factor. I mean, I
0: guess merchandising. Merchandising. Like Spaceballs. Merchandising. Merchandising. We'll put the pictures name on everything. Um, yeah. So. Anyway, Toy Story Two. Let's moving on. Number two, Kai. Which of the two movies is it that I know it's going to be on your list?
1: Why don't you introduce it?
0: I don't know which one it is. Is it going to be yeah. Ten Things I Hate About You? <laughs> do, 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 do.
1: Ding 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 <laughs> ding. I was like, do, 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 do. what is that? I don't know. I don't know what I was trying to do there. Um, yes, Ten Things I Hate About You. So this movie, yes, your mom still has not seen it, and she would love it, and um, so. Ten Things I Hate About You. This came out in, I think, March 30th, 1999, and I was so excited for this movie because the trailer made it look so fun, and I liked the fact that it was a, it was a Shakespeare, like a modernized Shakespeare, because that was kind of like on the rage. Well, oh, came like, out the, with
0: Julia Stiles yeah, a couple it, years later, I think, yeah, right, or the next year. Like, yeah, I think it was 2001, like 2001. Yeah, that was
1: like, like modernizing Shakespeare movies was kind of on the rage and like for maybe only a couple of years.
0: <laughs> Julia Stiles they were like, Hey, being our, our updated Shakespeare. She's like, okay. And then they're like, no, 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 we're good. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. And actually had saw Taming of the Shrew around that time too in school. So, but I saw 10 things about you first. And for those that don't know, Taming of the Shrew actually had Elizabeth Taylor in it and she played the cat character. But, um, but yeah, so we have 10 things I about you with a baby, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, I, you know, he had been on Roseanne. He had been on Third Rock from the Sun. And this was, I guess, like his first real... Angels
0: in the Outfield, yeah. 1994. Okay, okay,
1: so it was not his first big screen debut. But he cut his hair, and he was... I think he was 19 or so. And um, we have Julia, Julia Stiles in there. Larissa Nick from uh, Alex you, Mack. Yeah, you're leaving out um, a very obvious person. And... Keith Ledger, and nobody—I don't think anybody knew Heath Ledger was. I didn't, and uh, Heath Ledger plays the bad boy Patrick, and um, who's supposed to swoon and court um, Cat, the the character that Julia Stiles played. And oh, and um, Andrew Keegan, who Andrew Keegan was really big in the '90s. He had been a guest on Seventh Heaven. He was on Full House. He then was like on Thunder Alley or something like that. So he was more of a TV guy. And I guess this was like his first and maybe last film role. So I really liked Andrew Keegan too. I was like, oh Andrew Keegan. So he was the one I was more like Andrew Keegan. Now I'm more and like Who the hell are these guys? Exactly. <laughs> and uh, so it's just it's it's a really um, endearing movie because uh, you have two two people that are misunderstood, that are gossiped about, that are that are judged, and they find they find romance, they find love. And they, they better themselves. And Cat becomes a better sister. She becomes less like uptight, less shrewish, and um, and. Another, I had to do another
0: Spaceballs reference, but like a play on a Spaceballs reference. It was like funny. She doesn't
1: look shrewish. <laughs> so. Um, and then there was that line. I still think about this line to this day. But like they had a really the dad in that movie made me laugh a lot because he was trying to be oh Larry
0: Miller yeah he tried to be any professor he and tried a lot to be hip things.
1: and he was not hip but yeah. he would like speak like he was, and some of the fashion was cute. But there was a line that Kat's character said to her dad that like stop trying to. Um, Gosh, I don't remember the whole line, but she wanted to go in to East Coast school and her dad didn't want her to and she's like stop punishing me because just because mom left. And and it was just, you know, a father that's trying to keep control of his daughters and mm-hmm. um, he was an obstetrician so he's so his antics with that were really funny where he's like you got to wear the belly and they're like oh gosh, don't make me wear the belly. So they would not you don't know, have unprotected sex and get pregnant so but yeah so 10 Things Said About You I think really it, it kind of changed things with the teen comedy which 1999 was a huge year for teen comedy She's All That was on that list yeah oh, never yeah. been kissed obviously yeah you imagine
0: that
1: one um, but I think Never Been Kissed and 10 Things that About You came out the same month so I don't know maybe I got a maybe I saw the movie a double feature or something I don't know <laughs> that
0: would be a good double feature
1: <laughs> and um, oh, and then
0: oh, oh I mean it's not a comedy really but the the book that I'm reading that I keep referencing because it's kind of crystallizing all my thoughts about 1999 this year, in general with the 20th anniversary of that pivotal cinematic uh, milestone. Um, also, Go and Cruel Intentions were the same year too, so it was a really like teen movie year in a way, like bold teen movies that were like trying crazy shit yeah. and and getting young people out to, to the theaters for, like, vastly different stories. Like, not John Yu's style movies either anymore.
1: Right, exactly. And the thing about 10 Things that About You 2 was it was satirized on Not Another Teen Movie that came out in 2001 with my boy, Chris Evans.
0: Who's currently getting everybody swooning, to go back to your word there earlier, uh, at the Toronto International Film Festival for Knives Out. I just saw on Twitter earlier.
1: See how much things change? But, um, so that movie was parodied, not another Teen movie, parodied, Ten Things Handed About You, kind of a lot. Like, She's All That and Ten Things Night About, Ten Things Night About You were kind of like right. neck and neck with who was going to, what was parodied the most. But, um, and Cruel cool Intentions too, like you said. But yeah, it's just a really, um, cute movie. And I don't remember what you said. Didn't you say that you didn't want to see it because it looked boring or stupid or something?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I saw She's All That when it came out I was like this is cute and this stuff but I'm not yeah I feel like a lot of a lot of movies like that didn't don't it didn't seem as smart as it actually is it didn't seem as has like as much heart as it is and I and I kinda gave it short shrift at the time especially you know as a 16 year old boy I'm not going to go out of my way to go see 10 things I exactly, hate About Exactly exactly right? I think
1: we're a lot more judgmental a 16 year old sometimes than we are when we're when we're older Yeah But um it changed. It changed a lot for those actors, and oh, for clearly sure. for Heath Ledger's career. And I mean, that scene where he's on the the bleachers singing to I Cascade, love you, baby. yeah, that that was something. And well,
0: and then you have the iconic whole the whole like pivotal poem that she reads at the end yeah, about like, ten, yeah. yeah, the ten things I hate. The title yeah, that you didn't call.
1: and I think with uh, maybe the reason why people didn't see Heath Ledger as being Joker in the dark night is because they kept picturing him as Patrick from 10 things I'd like about you. Like, or oh, the guy from a teen guy or the guy a from a night's
0: Girl. Tale. Like, yeah, he was more of this heartthrob and it was like, how he's going to, how's he going to be the Joker? Like the most unhinged, you know, unpredictable supervillain in, in comic book history.
1: And he pulled it off.
0: Right, he won on a posthumous Oscar. And now mm. Joaquin Phoenix is following in his footsteps, possibly to awards contention and stuff, which is kind of crazy uh so yeah good good choice wasn't again i i I think some of the movies i didn't write down for honorable mentions are because i'm like well, Kai's got that covered (laughs) i don't need to mention that at all
1: and 10 things i had about you was actually a movie we watched a few years ago for my birthday you introduced me yeah yeah it was one of my birthday movies i'm like i want to watch 10 things about you and you're like okay i got it for you
0: on blu-ray just like never been kissed
1: um
0: so yeah good choice uh, number two, obviously for me, I already said my American Beauty, we touched on that, great performances from Kevin Spacey and Annette Benning, kind of a perversion of the, the stereotypical American dream, and uh, just a fascinating movie anyway, you so slice it. I don't know how, in some ways, if it ages as well as as, as it would like, but I, I think it definitely holds up thematically, if nothing else, so I don't think, really think we have that much more to say about American Beauty, I have an hour-long podcast, if you want to hear more of my thoughts on American it's Beauty. It's only an hour? Yeah, it was only an hour. This was before I was just like, we're just going to keep talking until they shut us down. Who's going to shut you down? There's nobody to shut you down. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> which is why I have two hours on uh, Revenge of the Sith for some reason. So, Kai, your number one, which I know what it is, but I'll let you say it unless you... I'll say it. Spice.
1: <laughs> My number one is spice, office- Spies. Because, um, obviously, um, there, we did... Rob and I did a podcast before the Avengers Endgame 1 about office space so definitely check that out for our thoughts on office space and why it's great and it I mean office space changed changed the game I mean it's on the cover of the book It is and we talk I talk about it at work it's just you know and it started as a comic book with Milton and that's why he's he's on was the it co- a
0: comic book or like animated shorts I forget oh I don't know I think it might have been animated shorts I think it even on the DVD and actually it's kind of funny something.
1: I have a coworker. worker she um, celebrated a year at, at my place of work and my coworker bought her a year present which was Milton with the post-its all over him and I was confused I'm like what why is Milton I don't get it like why does Milton have post-its all over him I don't remember that in the that movie. was the poster oh sorry, sorry. and my coworker's <laughs> like the other co was like oh because that's that's the poster I'm like oh my gosh of course it is because Milton was the main the main character, and even though in in the comic strip, so even though he was kind of didn't have as big of a part in the movie because it was more about uh, Peter and Michael Bolton, um,
0: not the singer, not the Michael Bolton you're thinking of.
1: Yeah, but Milton that was who the, the the shorts were about, so that's who got to be on the poster. But it's just it's when you've worked in an office setting. It's true. It's all true. You know, you want to get that printer and you want to get a bat and just start die hitting, hitting it. Die. Like, in fact, die I think my, one of my girls even like, said so what about that seat from office space with the printer? I want to do that right now. And 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 the thing is, like, I watched this movie and love this movie <laughs> and connected to this movie before he's even working in an office. He's talking about the printer. And then I'm thinking,
0: what does it say? This it like PC load letter. Yeah. I was like, what does that
1: mean? <laughs> So um, Office Space, it's great. It's my favorite movie of all time.
0: I thought is it that or Shawshank, or is it like Office Space and then Shawshank?
1: Um, it, well, I feel like they're totally different genres. Oh well, yeah. So they could go. They can. So you're like, like so not.
0: you're, so you're doing what I do and kind of having two movies like for depending on your mood, basically.
1: Right. So yeah. So Office Space is my favorite comedy of all time, and, and Shawshank and- is my favorite like drama.
0: Okay, fair enough. So you're golden globing it is what you're doing.
1: Yeah. My
0: favorite music. Office Space is your favorite musical or comedy. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) There uh, is musical. Oh my gosh, though. The great soundtrack. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Damn it feels good good to be a gangster.
0: gangster. (laughs) Um, That wasn't in my top five. Uh, it probably would have been, honestly, it probably would have been number six, though, if I had to extend it out. I do like it quite Is a bit.
1: Honorable mention?
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. It would have been number but six. But you didn't even like
1: it that much until I liked, like a I few years it, ago.
0: I, I, well, that's one of, and I've said this on the podcast because on we did a whole episode on Office Space, as you mentioned. Uh, it was one of like, I think, four movies we both owned on DVD independently before we got together. It was that, Down With Love. And Shawshank. <laughs> Shawshank. And, uh, uh, some,
1: there's Something About Mary.
0: Something About Mary. Yes, exactly so i guess we have to do something about marrying ep- a down episode.
1: with love I,
0: I, oh yes we have ab- that's we true do, we that's do, the next yeah. one
1: yes
0: that's the next time we have you on for a traditional formatted episode we're definitely good down with love i man- yeah. mentioned that to karen peterson when we did the bridget jones diary conversation because i you know we mentioned uh renee zellweger and how great she is and how she did all, you know down with love a couple years after and things like that so yeah then we'll definitely do that that'll be your next uh I don't know if it's going to be your next appearance, but it'll be your next normal format appearance. We like i like to bring you out for these special ones. know, um, yeah, Nova yeah. Office Space is hilarious, and we talked about it in depth uh, on the episode. And I don't, it just doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't hit, it doesn't, it's not like my, it's not my favorite movie of all time. It's not even, obviously not even in my top five movies in 1999. I do like it a lot, but I feel like I admire what it has become more than I enjoy. Enjoy the movie if that makes sense. Like I enjoy the movie, but I'm not like this is amazing. It's like so with so many of these films. I feel like it is how much you love it. How much you love any film really depends on a lot on the, where who you are when you see it, what circumstances circumstances you see it in, and that's why I think the the term favorite or the term best film is really such bullshit because best according to you, not according to me. You know that could be your favorite film, and, and I saw Office Space. I think kind of from the library or something. And I said this on the episode as well. And I saw it like, you know, in pieces and kind of, uh, you know, watched it a lot on when it was on Comedy Central and things like that. So it's a, it's a movie I really love, but not as much as you, I guess, is my point. So for more on that, listen to our Office Space episode. And of How course, nice is you can
1: just plug all these episodes. I know. I didn't
0: even I mean, it's not even. Yeah, it's not even 100 percent planned that way. It's just the way it is and then uh, obviously my number one if you know me or have met me or follow me on any form of social media or have listened to this podcast before number one is of course the matrix uh which is such a perfect movie i i just saw it last was it last week yeah last week uh in theaters for the 20th anniversary in dolby at amc and i i mean you know i spent the whole movie just being like it's just it's just so great like i wasn't even paying attention to the story because i've seen it a million times so i was more just like oh look at that scene look at that the music cue that came in like oh that performance there oh look at the stunts and all. it it is by far i wouldn't say by far because i do have the dichotomy with my favorite movies like like you mentioned it is that one. the matrix and jerry maguire are, are by far my favorite movies but the Matrix is the movie, and I sort of said this briefly on a Stardust video that I did on the Stardust app. So follow me on there if you're if you're at in all interested in downloading that and getting my reactions to movies right after I see them. But uh, it, it is if going to the movies is it's like going to church, like it is for some of us cinephiles, where it's just a huge like cultural education and things like that. Then the Matrix is the is like the the is, was the movie was. Seeing the Matrix was the experience that where I like walked out of there and like that's it I've accepted you know the Lord and Savior into my heart or whatever I've been saved is my it was my salvation. The Matrix was that eye-opening moment for me, in the way that something like I think it was Signs for Chris Stuckman and like all the you know if you if you love movies the way that I love movies the way that a lot of people that talk about movies on podcasts or write about movies so much, there is usually I have I have a theory that there's usually one movie that was the film that that expanded your mind, freed your mind like the like in the matrix to seeing movies as yeah, that was fun, uh, distraction, whatever, it's funny, look crazy shit happening. Ha ha ha. and go about my life to like no, no, no. This is this is my life. This is like what I'm into. This is my thing. Look at the art in the in the film, look at the way it's shot, like the way it's framed, look at the way that it's influenced by all these things, and look at the, everything it's trying to say, and all the themes, and the symbolism, and the metaphors, and blah 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 blah, and all that. And the Matrix was the movie that really made me realize: wait a minute, this is not only something to just be entertained by. There's an art behind this. There's a style behind this. There are people behind this, thinking about thinking about this project in such excruciating detail that they're you know they're they're. Everything is a reference to something else. Everything is inspired by something else. Everything is influenced by what they what has come before. And everything that, it, that you're seeing on screen is 100% deliberate. And I think that's true of some of the best films. And The Matrix is the movie that made me realize what movies could be. Not only, you know... Not only the artistry behind it, but also the power, and the impact they could have on your life, where I watched it a few months, uh, obviously a few months ago to talk about it with Freddie for the podcast for the hundredth episode, which was his choice, not mine, um for his favorite his favorite movie also. And we talked about it for two hours at the time I was splitting them into two episodes. But uh, we had talked about it for so long that I had bonus content that I posted on Patreon. It's just th- that it's it's that movie for for both of us. And for a lot of people, I feel like it is kind of to this generation what Star Wars was to the generation before. I mean, Star Wars still obviously has an impact and it still inspires people and still is a lot of people's favorite movie. But I feel like The Matrix made a lot of people want to be filmmakers, want to look deep, more deeply into film than just that was fun, but I'm going to live my life now. You know, it's more than just a passing trend or a passing pad. It's a story that sticks with you and that inspires you every time you watch it and makes you want to go out and be the best version of yourself and, you know, become a freelance writer like I am or be- start a podcast like I am and open your mind to the possibilities of what is out there outside of the little box of what you're supposed to do and who you're supposed to be and all that other stuff. And that's why watching that movie every single time, including last week, was really like a powerful emotional experience for me because it says all of that and infinitely more. It just this constant... Uh, it's just it's just a constant source of inspiration for me from a visual level from a storytelling level, and I you know I really love the Wachowskis and I'm elated at the thought of a possible Matrix four with Lana Wachowski directing it and uh, definitely if you want to hear more of my gushing thoughts about the Matrix and more complicated thoughts on the sequels um, I'm totally planning on doing a episode at some point with Jackson Smith who's been on the show before we talked about eighth grade we. Uh, we talked about Revenge of the Sith. He was the person I talked to for two hours about Revenge of the Sith. God bless him for talking to me for about movie about two hours. Um, uh, but yeah, we're definitely planning a discussion on the Matrix sequels uh, sometime in the near future. So Kai, after that long spiel about how much I love the Matrix, where the hell? Where's, my, where's the Matrix in your top five?
1: I mean, it's... Yeah, no, I mean, I like the Matrix, and I... That was very well said. Thank very you. Very articulate, I'll, and you could tell—you could tell how passionate Rob is here about the Matrix. And um, I actually didn't see the Matrix until 2007.
0: At least I didn't have to show it to. you. Yeah, um, I, a of I saw
1: it actually with my sister and my brother-in-law after they moved me into my my first place on my own. We kind of wanted to just to decompress after moving, so I think we went to Blockbuster and um had they seen it at that point i think so yeah i think so because it
0: was uh not to to quote anchorman it was kind of a big deal yeah
1: no because i remember being in you know i remember when it came out and there were people in my sophomore year of sophomore class that were talking about this movie with the teacher and they're like what is the matrix and i'm like what and it's you know rated r and I already was explaining that I didn't have a car and the means to go to see these movies <laughs> and um and I just wasn't I don't know I guess there was other things that I wanted to see and I guess maybe I thought it would be like too too weird too high level I mean it, not it yes, interesting. kind
0: of not not interesting but the other stuff yes
1: And even now you know watching it there are scenes in that movie that are just Uncomfortable. Really? Like okay. Like, such like, as when he comes when he comes out of his his
0: oh, when he's being born. Yeah, for his the first time. <laughs> so basically,
1: gr- it's so gross and
0: it's all gooey and, and it's like the, yeah. the thing down his throat. Is like, oh. Yeah,
1: that's, yeah. That that's that's intense. It's horrific. That's is probably what it is. One, it's supposed one of the reasons. That's probably one of the reasons rated R. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but people still t- quote red pill, blue pill, and well, I sometimes feel like. I it's a blue pill where you just get to stay in the right. matrix, right? Stay in, I sometimes yeah. feel like I wanted to just stay in the matrix because
0: you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. Yeah,
1: and and it's not and like I read these BuzzFeed articles like, "Oh, when there was a glitch in the matrix." So, they're still they talking about it. And I still think about them like, "Oh my gosh. Are we is there a glitch right now for the matrix?" And because yeah, I mean, how are we supposed to know that it's not it's not that we're not in the matrix i mean yeah. how are we, we supposed to real? know that it's not a documentary yeah you know we're not the chosen one he
0: says uh Mor- i mean obviously not that i would have to have seen it recently to be able to quote it obviously but morpheus says to neo uh what if uh this he's uh, neo is touching the mirror and he's like this can't be he's like be what be real it's like you know what if you were having a dream and you were unable to wake from that dream how would you know the real world?'" The dream world from the real world, basically, and it's it's again it's blurring those lines between what's real, what isn't, and what's possible, and all that stuff. And, and I, I feel like the Matrix, the
1: Matrix was definitely a, a catalyst for a lot of other movies. You oh, know? absolutely. Like, I mean, like take Charlie's Angels. I mean, they're doing all these fight sequences that are very Matrix-like, Wirework. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's just not hap- that's just not possible. But with the Matrix, they they make it possible because you're in dream world, you're in your world. Inception is inception wouldn't have happened without the matrix cuz what everything everything you happened. just said is inception yeah. that's what inception's about
0: it's a dream world it's, and how
1: if you don't wake up
0: it's very thematically related i would say for sure and i mean it, you know i would be remiss if i didn't mention that a lot of the stuff that the that the matrix touches on is also touched on in another movie that came out the year before called dark city which was filming around the same time as the Matrix, so they actually used some of the same like sets and things like that in the Matrix as in Dark City. And I talked with Jeff Johnson. Amanda I remember, Gath- remember talking with you Jeff guys talk Johnson about this. on the podcast about Dark City, which is his favorite movie. So it was it, it does feel kind of like a distant cousin to the Matrix. So people that are interested in the Matrix and like me have seen it five million times uh, and and or love it as much as I do. Definitely check out Dark City if you haven't seen it. It's more of a cult classic. It was like the Black Sheep. It was like the, uh, the you know, unappreciated younger sibling of the Matrix, I guess, in a way. Is it like the Black Armageddon sheep?
1: versus Deep Impact?
0: Well, which, that Armageddon so Deep Impact more, is... I think Deep Impact is probably a better movie, But Armageddon
1: got more press. Yeah, got more, I don't, mm. It was more of a blockbuster than Deep Impact, but they're basically right. the same movie.
0: <laughs> kind of. Well, this one's a comet, one's an asteroid, but yeah, essentially, they have a very similar premise. Okay,
1: I don't know the difference between a comet and an asteroid, so... There's that.
0: You're just part of the problem, aren't you? Exactly.
1: I am. Um, but that happened a lot. The twin still, movies that that still happens. There is,
0: I think there is an entire podcast. Actually, I forget. But somebody wrote into the Slash Filmcast, which is a great show that everybody who's listening to this probably already listens to because it's super popular, um, that somebody wrote into the Slash Filmcast, I think, who has a podcast on twin movies. So Deep Impact and Armageddon. Um Ants and a Bug's Life, uh, Dante's Peak and Volcano, all those kind of famous ones. Uh, White House Down and Olympus Has Fallen. <laughs> uh, I and I Isn't think it kind of, San
1: Andreas and something else.
0: Probably it was probably another movie with The Rock, honestly. Uh, and I think The Matrix and Dark City kind of almost sort of qualify as that. There's about a year in between them, but uh, I, I and and ultimately the plots of both of them are very different. The realities behind what's happening in each of those movies is very different, but I think they are. They do start out from a similar place of like, Yo, what the fuck is happening? What's going on? Because that was how that was my reaction the first time I saw The Matrix. I was sixteen. I was used to you know the Nettie Professor. I love that the Eddie Murphy one, obviously. Um, the Batman Forever. I love that Ace Ventura and The Mask. Those like kind of very broad movies. They were pretty mainstream, pretty straightforward. I saw The Matrix. I was like, wait, what? he's in a computer this is real this is not, i don't understand like i almost didn't understand like it blew my little 16 year old mind and i think i used that exact same sentence in the matrix episode because that's the easiest way to describe it um it, it did yeah it, it, it lifted a veil of hey this is what movies are welcome join us come with me and use see the world of pure imagination it was like that kind of thing um so obviously my number one was going to be the matrix but uh, I'm pretty sure you have some honorable mentions that we haven't mentioned. Would you (laughs) like to throw those out there before we end this episode that's gone longer than we planned?
1: It always happens.
0: I mean, but 1999, we spent as much time talking about the year as we did the movies. So that's good. That's what we need. I needed to get the 99 out
1: of my system. So honorable mentions. Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me.
0: Not a great movie. But one that I think we both have kind of a nostalgic soft spot for, I have that written down here as well. I didn't think you would.
1: I know. I I figured you wouldn't. Of think cool. that. Oh, I love. Yeah. yeah, I had the. Yeah, yeah I see. I'm always. Person. I'm unpredictable. You are. You know my first. You knew my are first you, two. You favorites. can't steal the,
0: unpredict. The, see the unpredictable thing, that's uh, that's Justin Beck of the Ditsy Comic Podcast. That's his thing. Going off the rails mm-hmm. and stuff. So don't steal his. That's his brand.
1: All right. You're, brand
0: you're, be brave. Be, be bold. Be brave. Stick with your. Stay in your lane, cut.
1: Um. So I put Austin Powers, Spy Who Shagged Me, because I did not see Austin Powers, A Man of Mystery, International Man of Mystery, in the movie theater. Neither did I. In fact, I don't even know. I think I may have actually only seen Austin Powers, Spy Who Shagged Me first. And I saw it with my friend. And I just remember laughing so hard. And if anybody knows me, I don't laugh. Out loud. I'm not a laugh. I'm not an LOL person. I just, I make people laugh. I don't laugh. But this movie made me laugh a lot. Because it was just so silly, and um, it wasn't the po- part where he
0: drinks poop, is it? No, no. I don't like that scene. Actually, I think that's probably one no, of the weakest. No, it was in the tent jumps.
1: at the end. Oh, of, the tent. Yeah, and then the scene where, uh, soon after that, where they're like, "Oh, got some balls." There's then, a gerbil
0: in your bag. Yeah. How did that get in there? I don't know.
1: <laughs> and then the scene with the the, the rock, the, um, the spaceship or whatever, the ship. The moon. Was, like the, his oh, moon base? His, his, his oh the balls. Oh, get your get oh, yeah, your yeah, get yeah. your hot dogs or something like that.
0: I don't know. It looks like Jim Vance Johnson. Yeah, pay attention. Yeah,
1: so I just, I just when, laughed great, out great. loud, and, it, and that movie got a lot of press too. And yeah. so that came oh, yeah. out this, this summer, right around, like, around our birthdays, right like before late, I mid moved. late June, like right before. Isn't I moved. that like a June movie? Wasn't like yeah. Right I think it was like my last, yeah. the last movie I saw before I moved to. Because both of our birthdays are in, in
0: late June, yeah. I should say. And I
1: remember seeing, um, you know, Heather Graham on the cover of Entertainment Weekly, and I'm just like, oh my god, she's so beautiful, and just. It, Just they were entertainment outlets for talking about this movie a lot. And my friend, she really liked... The friend I saw it with really liked Austin Powers. She saw the International Man of Mystery. And so I went with her. And yeah, I just thought it was really funny. And clearly it was... A very pivotal movie for comedies because mm. then he did. Mike Myers did a third one,
0: which was not as good, unfortunately, even though I love it in a, in a weird way. Uh, it's yeah, no, but I saw I was one of those people, the stereotypical Austin Powers fan who didn't see it in theaters, rented it, fell in love with it, rented it again, rented it again, rented it again, bought it previously viewed on VHS when that was a From thing. Probably it was yeah. I don't think Amazon was a thing yet. No, no, Amazon wasn't a thing. No, previously viewed like in the store, like from and it wasn't Blockbuster. I don't think it might have been Hollywood Video or one Um, of the other ones. Um, And then got it on DVD and then watched the second, saw the second one and like yeah, that whole thing. That was my thing. So I was obsessed with Austin Powers for the longest time and I was kind of obnoxious about it. So I think we'll let you do your honorable mentions because you probably don't have as many as me. Do you have any other ones? I have two more. Okay, do do your two go. Okay,
1: so my other. Honorable mention is E-Election. So I saw this movie in 2004, and it really put Reese Witherspoon on the map. I mean, she, she had cruel intentions in Election uh, um, the same year. Back, yeah. And she got nominated for a Golden Globe, actually, for Election. And it's a dark comedy. And um, she plays the character, Tracy Flick, who is like ambitious and is kind of power-hungry. And like it just tells the... It's a dark teen comedy, and it's just, like, kind of tells a tale of her wanting to um, be elected student body president, and, and Matthew Broderick is in it, and he kind of, like, despises her. And, um, and it's, like, Rob has said that the movie's kind of uncomfortable, and he's right. I mean, it's a dark comedy, and there's some, it's, you know, sort of an uncomfortable viewing in some instances. I don't even know if I, I would say it's funny. But, um, yeah, but it just it's just kind of an interesting uh, fork in the road for Reese Witherspoon's career because she's she had even said that that movie, that that role that she played made casting directors uncomfortable, that she, they didn't even want to cast her anymore because it's just they're just like, oh my gosh, you're like cr- creepy and weird. And she was saying in an interview that they wanted. Her to more play nice and sweet you know sweet and agreeable and tracy flick is none of those things um but yeah it's just i had to be i had to put it on there and i have not seen it in a long time and rob and i actually haven't even watched this together and it's on our list of what of to watch but uh we definitely need to watch it again
0: i think i'd have a much better appreciation for it now like being more interested in politics and understanding the more the satire that the movie's going for. Uh, I also have been I, I don't I don't really know if I 100 percent gel with Alexander Payne's movies. He also did like Sideways and things like that. Um, so, no, that's definitely that's why I mentioned at the top of the show. That's one like being John Malkovich, which I also liked, but didn't necessarily love uh, that. I, I feel like I would appreciate on a, on a much different level now. Uh, so I'm glad you brought up election because I think that's a, definitely a movie that's on the cover of this book. Yep. prominently in the very kind of centrally um, that I, I think a lot of people will would bring up as why 99 was such an interesting year of, of, for a movie. So what was your, your last honorable mention and then I'll run through mine real fast.
1: So my last honorable mention is Go. Um, Rob kind of touched upon this one briefly that it was a teen movie in 1999 with she's all that. And 10 Things I Had About You. Cruel Intentions. And um, so, same, same thing. I saw this movie in 2004. And it just was just, like, so weird. And kind of something that I hadn't really ever seen before. I mean, this movie is about drug use. It's got drug dealers. It's got, like, raves. And pretty much none of the characters in it are endearing. Except for... Um, Katie Holmes' character; she's like the only one that is likable and is still trying to be a good person. But the rest of them are absolutely terrible. But um, back at the time, Jay Moore was in it, and he was kind of a kind of starting to become a big deal. Uh, Scott Wolf was in it, and Scott Wolf was in Party of Five around that time. Um, I mentioned Katie Holmes and uh, Tim- Timothy Elephant elephant was in that movie and he was all like a dirty scuzzy drug dealer and now he's been on Santa Clara diet and it's a completely different role and he's actually really funny but um it's just it's just a weird movie and just a, about a world that I don't know anything about and um and kind of the hijinks that these these teenagers young adults go through in an evening and You're kind of not really rooting for (laughs) anything.
0: It's kind of, it feels like almost like a teen movie version of like, of a Tarantino story. Yeah, It feels very, there was after Pulp Fiction came out in 94, there was a lot of films that were very heavily inspired by Tarantino, you know, Boondock Saints and this movie and like a lot of films that were trying to deal with that, like, you know, uh, super stylized, delving into the underworld of criminals and drug dealers and killers and blah, blah 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 and how yeah sort of delving you know exploring that world in from a like quirkier <laughs> perspective and not taking it as seriously so i think go is
1: definitely a part of that um, I, I have many you, you are not a big fan of go though uh mm-hmm. not really uh, i have <laughs> and you saw it as an an adult, so yeah. It's it's so it's not it's like dangerous. I need to
0: revisit. I'm just like, eh, not for me. That's um, okay. Again, favorite, not not best. Um, so I had a crap ton of honorable mentions. So I'm gonna run through them, I guess, pretty fast. Uh, not in any particular order. Fight Club. I talked about with the famous Ashley Grant. I already mentioned that. And now you
1: like it more because you I saw like it again. more.
0: Well, I like it more because one, because I saw it again. Two, because I talked about it with a good friend of mine for over an hour. And we, we dissect a lot of what appeals to her about it. And then, you know, I can appreciate that more. And, and yeah, so the value of watching a film as an adult versus as a teenager is like, eh, I don't know, I don't understand what this is. Um, I think that's that's a big standout for me. Eyes Wide Shut, which I just recorded an episode on. You'll hear later in the fall with Albert Lanier. Really interesting movie. Uh, Kubrick, it's a final. Tom Cruise, really out of his element normally. Uh, not in the, the traditional leading man. I think that was a really interesting movie to talk about. It has a lot to say about sexuality from both the male and female perspective. So I had a great conversation with him about that, uh, Albert Lanier. Uh, the Mummy, 1999, obviously, mm-hmm. well, 1999, obviously, with Brendan Fraser. Rachel Weiss was a revelation in that movie. Um, I, I think it, it it's, hits that the nice cross-section between being a horror movie, being kind of a swashbuckling adventure, but being fun all the way through. There's been a lot of people reporting lately that Brendan Fraser is like, I'd be down for a fourth movie because they did The Mummy Returns, which I hated. And uh, The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, which I also kind of hated. Uh, Never that. There's a third one with him. And, and Maria Bello, Rachel Weiss was like, ah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Which was a wise decision, and Jet Li is the villain. Not a good movie. Not worth your time. Don't bother. Uh, neither is the Mummy Returns. I lo- like, I, okay,
1: I only saw the Mummy Returns. Well, before you showed me the Mummy, right? I, I thought it was cute. I
0: hated it. I thought it was terrible. I loved the Mummy, and I thought that was. Burton Fraser did
1: like run in the nineties. No,
0: he's like he was like a heartthrob in the Mummy, like it, like straight up. Like he was basically he was very Harrison Ford esque. He's very Indiana Jones style in that movie, and I think I you know we we both like him. Yeah, you know, in a lot of movies, I think you like Bedazzled more than I do, but it's kind of emerges like a mini cult classic among some people. And I think he's a very versatile actor, so I'd love to he see was him. He's also in
1: the, from the past in the same year.
0: Did you see that? No. Oh, that was, yeah, that was a good. Was, my mom likes that movie actually, that Man of Did that come out in or 99?
1: I had the poster for the movie. Ooh, okay. I don't know how I even got it.
0: Was it when you were working at Blockbuster or something? You're like, hey, it's sitting here. Okay, I'll take it. Right no, um, um, I had it stuff?
1: before I was working, I, I had it when I lived Okay. In the other house. Fair
0: enough. Um, Galaxy Quest, hilarious movie, obviously parody of Star Trek and a lot of sci-fi films. It's that kind of uh, Three Amigos, Bugs Life, Tropic Thunder situation of, oh, this is all pretend, right? Oh shit, no, it's not. Um, And Tim Allen's great in it, Sigourney Weaver's great in it, Alan Rickman, RIP, is great in it. Sam Rockwell, Tony Shalhoub, I mean, Missy Pyle, Enrico Colantani, just a a laundry list of great actors in that film. Uh, Really, really funny comedy, love that. in keeping with that theme, analyze this Harold Ramis' follow-up to *Multiplicity*, which we just watched. I just showed you for the first time. Uh, Robert De Niro poking fun at all the gangster roles he's played. Billy Crystal, who co-wrote the screenplay, if I'm remembering correctly. Really funny movie. Uh, I don't know if it's some of the moments, some of the g- gags, obviously don't really hold up. There's a lot in the '90s. You mentioned about like kind of the attitude towards gay people in the '90s. That was a, that's always a big problem when we watch. I mean, we talked about it on the Ace Ventura episode. We were not sensitive at all toward the LGBTQ community in the 90s. Every, they were always the butt of the joke. And that is unfortunate. I'm glad that we've come a long way since then. But I think you see a lot of that in a lot of the 90s comedies specifically. Uh, and it's it always sticks out to me as a sore thumb. It's kind of cringe inducing. Uh, the Green Mile, which you haven't seen. Actually, I haven't. I, I watched it on uh, VHS or wherever I rented it from. I've had it on DVD for probably almost 20 years. Sitting up there, haven't watched it honestly because it was a very draining experience and it's three hours long. But since we're like straight up in the Stephen King assance, I might dust that off and show it to you at some point. Michael Clarke Duncan is amazing in it. Uh, again, R. I. P. Uh, Oscar nominated for his performances. John Coffey, Tom Hanks is great in it. It's it's a very powerful movie and I think it is very much a spiritual su- spiritual successor to. The Shawshank Redemption in a lot of ways, because again, based on Stephen King, set in a prison, same director Frank Darabont. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll definitely need oh, to get no, to that like at some to, point.
1: Like rival for the top, would it, the what it on my list?
0: I don't think so. I don't know if you'd relate you relate to it the same sh- way. I
1: Shawshank. <laughs>
0: I, I wanted to. The, the, I mentioned earlier about a lot of romantic comedies in the '90s and how that was kind of the golden age for them. Uh, so I wanted to throw out a mention to Notting Hill, which I thought was a really cute movie. Julia Roberts, Hugh Grant. You know, she's a movie star. He's a regular guy. How's this gonna work? Uh, I think Risa Fon's is is really funny as the supporting role, the roommate of Hugh Grant's character. Uh, and that's just a really, it's a really sweet, fun movie. And I, I felt, I felt like I needed to throw out some romantic comedy that came out in '99 that stood out to me, and that was probably one of the better ones. The other the movie than it did
1: like super well. It too. did like
0: over 100 million, which back then was impressive.
1: Was that the same year as Runaway Bride too?
0: Yeah, I didn't like that movie at all. It was no, like the summer. of was or Julia Roberts. Yeah, it was like one was like May or like early June, and one was like. August July. or late July or like around there it was like a couple months apart uh, and that was of course a couple years after My Best Friend's Wedding which I think is a better movie than both of them but uh, The Iron Giant which our daughter seems really interested in whenever she looks at the cover of this book she's like I want to see that I'm like alright I'll show it to you eventually you still haven't seen The Iron Giant so we definitely yes really... I have did we show you The Iron Giant?
1: yeah I did, did show you? yeah like earlier this year or oh okay sure. so yeah, I actually have a
0: oh on Letterboxd yeah. follow us both on Letterboxd um, so I'm going to keep talking The Iron Giant great movie Brad Bird's uh, directorial debut of course he went on to do incredibles ratatouille mission impossible ghost protocol and the underrated tomorrowland not a great movie not a great movie but an interesting movie that's worth checking out especially for kids and lastly the last one that i had written down here i told you i had a lot of them that's why i'm kind of talking much faster uh i, I should have had coffee instead of wine i would be all this pieces of more. so the sixth sense by uh, m. night Shyamalan of course one of the best twist endings that still holds up on repeat viewings, understated work by Bruce Willis, Haley Joel Osment, still one of the best child performances of all time, Tony Collette, great like uh, aesthetics, great cinematog- cinematography, uh, the score, everything. It's just, it's a really classy, well done Hitchcockian thriller. It's not my favorite Shyamalan. I still prefer Unbreakable, but I think it is definitely up there. And it's actually another one that I haven't seen in a long time. I need to go back and watch it. It's on Netflix, so I, I should probably go back and watch Six Sense again. Go ahead. You look like you want to say something oh, about uh, it. Right? I'm
1: just—we watched it May twenty-second, two thousand eighteen. Okay,
0: so it's only been a few months, so two thousand eighteen. Oh, oh, last year. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. So I don't. My memory isn't as short as I thought it was. So that was nineteen ninety-nine in film. Uh, is there any uh, any final thoughts? A lot of great movies, a lot of interesting movies, a very wide variety of, of films out there that were making an impact creatively and financially and artistically.
1: Yeah, and maybe the thing with 1999 too was that I mean, it was also kind of like a, um, the independent film. Boom. Yeah, it was like you have to have as much money. I didn't
0: mean to do another phew, but to, <laughs> ha- to
1: put film out there because with The Blair Witch, I mean, we're, I'm not a fan. You don't see it. But that was an independent film that. Became a sleeper hit. I wonder if you like feel are different. still talking
0: about it. I wonder if you'd feel differently if you saw it now. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> wow.
1: No, I don't like that movie.
0: You don't like found footage in general, I think. Is no, I thing. don't. No. Yeah.
1: I just and also the problem was I saw that movie after everybody was talking about it, and I just felt like it was overhyped.
0: And that's a and hard. It
1: gave me a headache.
0: I mean, I saw Hardcore Henry in theaters like what a year or so ago, and that gave me a headache. So I understand the the headache thing. Uh, with, with those kind of found footage uh, films so not to harp on this but The Matrix I think is another movie that maybe you don't love as much as me because you didn't see it when it came out you saw it after it was parodied in Scary Movie and Shrek and all these other films and you're like okay whatever why is it such a big thing and that's your whole take on a lot of culture that you don't get to in the moment
1: oh yeah uh, meanwhile, I, love being... I saw
0: it opening weekend I was like
1: what this is amazing I love being contrarian you do I do it's a character it's like, it's like yeah it's like my job <laughs>
0: So any other Not thoughts sure. on, on 99? I'm glad we finally followed through on this. We were going to do it in July, which would have been more of a year since our 98 one. But posting it on 99, I think, is, is makes a lot more sense. So I pitched to Kai the idea about doing another 90s throwback episode next year, maybe looking back 25 years to 1995, which I think would be interesting. I, I probably There's probably a few movies that I should see before we do that, so I can make sure they make my top five. They're worthy of it and such. Uh, but this was a lot of fun. Kai, I'm glad we talked about 1999 yeah, in depth much longer again than I than I meant to. And I, it
1: was really, it, it, it's actually funny that it did go on for a long time because a lot of these movies you mentioned, you talked about in your podcast already.
0: I know. I was like, more here, but let me talk about it for five minutes. Uh, so thank you so much for again for coming on the Cricket Table Podcast, Kai. Uh, I have an idea for what we want to do in the next month or so, something we can post, but we'll talk about it. We sort of mentioned it briefly before off mic, but thanks for being here and taking time out of your Saturday night to talk about the movies of 1999
1: with me. I was also just hanging out with you anyway. That's true.
0: (laughs) You're stuck here. You're like, damn it. I have to talk on a mic, sure, whatever. So uh, that'll be all for the Cricket Tail Podcast this week. I've been Rob. And I'm Kai. You sure might as well feel like I should do a little bit of a old school throwback and say, uh, roll credits. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob.
1: This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. F-Z-R-O-O-K-E-D! <laughs> F-Z-O-O-O-K-E-D! <laughs> <laughs>